We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? My name is Craig Stout. This is a live edition of the KC Laboratory brought to you by Emprise Bank. We are here reacting to the Chiefs making a move this morning. Ronald Jones signs. We're going to kind of talk about some moves that they made over the last couple of days, some smaller stuff that hasn't, you know, resulted in some breaking news sort of things. But let's collect all these. And in order to do that, I need my good pal, Maddie Lane, to be joining me. Maddie, how are we doing on this fine Saturday? You know, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good here. Um, we got we got a few free agency moves the Chiefs have made over the past week or so that we haven't really gotten to dive into yet. And obviously, the the marquee one, the most recent one, is going to be Ronald Jones. We figured it'd be a good time to jump in, talk some uh, Rojo, as he is known by uh, his fans around the league, and okay. also touch on some of these other guys like uh, Dion Bush and Jermaine Carter, just some guys that we haven't got to talk about up until this point. So. I was happy to get to sit down with my dear pal Craig, who's always very busy going to the moon and whatnot. But uh, I was glad to be here. Glad to be here with you, bud. Yeah, glad to be here with you too. Ronald Jones, let's dive into it. Uh, This is coming off of a rookie contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was drafted in the second round, 38th overall. So that means that all the analytics people love Ronald Jones because he wasn't a first round running back. But (laughs) a guy that maybe uh, didn't have the best end of his time in Tampa Bay. Put together a couple of seasons with some, you know, 1,000 scrimmage yards, but was kind of constantly replaced by Leonard Fournette, who now has stuck in Tampa Bay again, a, a back that they obviously preferred after his time in Jacksonville. But Ronald Jones, a free agent, Chiefs signed him to a one-year up to $5 million. So obviously an incentive-laden contract. What's the initial reaction from you on Ronald Jones, Maddie? The first thing I start with is the is the contract. Um, I I understand that it's probably heavily incentive laden, so it's gonna be a lot of playing time and production that goes into it. So it's not like it's a five million dollar contract straight up, but still to have that set as the ceiling, that's not nothing for a running back. Like that's a, a substantial contract for a running back, especially one that you can't really anticipate being the true running back one of a team right now. So like. I just I thought it was a pretty substantial amount of cash to have as the maximum amount for what Ronald Jones essentially has been for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is uh, a platoon running back that they have uh-huh. always tried to replace. I mean, like, there's no way, two ways around it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have gone out of their way to try to replace him time and time again. It's not because he's void of talent. Like, I want to be clear, we're going to talk about what he's good at, 
But for whatever reason, and there's been fumbling issues, reliability issues. I think there's been some work ethic stuff. Like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers year after year, beginning of the season, mid-season, end of the mid-season, have always been trying to replace Ronald Jones within the kind of their depth chart. So $5 million for that guy, that took me by surprise a little bit. Yeah, me too, a little bit. I didn't expect that he was necessarily going to get that much, uh, especially for a guy that in Tampa Bay, he's been a very good runner, which, I mean, of course, you're running back, you want to be a good runner. He's been a very good runner, and I think that that's fit very well in their early down stuff. Now, the problem is he has been a an absolutely atrocious pass blocker and doesn't catch the ball particularly well either. I mean, he... If you look at his stats, he did get some volume targets, but the, like Maddie said, Tampa Bay's always tried to replace him as with a third down back. And if you've been following along with us for very long here, when the Chiefs were playing the Bucks in the Super Bowl, my strategy for Steve Spagnuolo was send the house when Rojo's on the field because he can't pick up blitzes. And as a guy that's kind of rotating with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and you know, trying to fit into that backfield, it doesn't solve your third down problem. Now, maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire becomes more of your third down back. Maybe they still address that with a third down back. But as an early down guy, I really like the signing. It's just when you get into the passing game a little bit more, I just don't know that he's going to offer much there. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw the same thing, Matty. I, I, I'm going back and reviewing the film as we speak. So, I mean, like, did you see a similar sort of ordeal there? Oh, yeah. I, I think a tricky part with Ronald Jones was a lot of people loved him coming out of college, coming out of USC, and he had the whole aesthetic that reminded everybody of Jamal Charles. He dreads are coming out. He looked like Jamal, Char Jamal Charles while he was playing at USC, and so he started getting these comps to Charles, and I personally never saw it. Like, I never saw him as that player, but then he gets the NFL, and I think it became pretty clear that's not the type of player he is. So, I mean, we'll start with the good. Early mm -hmm. down guy. He's a physical runner. I mean, he's a super physical runner. He will get downhill in a hurry. I think he has pretty good vision. He does a good job of locating the correct gap, setting some linebackers up so he can get to the correct gap. And then when he wants to get downhill, he puts his foot on the ground and he runs downhill. You're not going to chop him down with light contact to the hip, to the knee. You do have to actually square him up and bring him down. So he's a physical downhill between the tackle runner. And guess what? That's where Tampa Bay found a lot of success with him. Like during his two years where he had a lot of success, he predominantly ran gap schemes. Like he had a pretty good rushing year in uh, 2019 as kind of like this on again, off again runner averaging, you know, just over four yards per attempt. But when he really had a good season was in 2020 as a rusher, averaged almost five yards per rush. He ran almost predominantly gap stuff. They ran a lot of duo or they would mix in some inside zone, some power downhill runner, man, gap blocking schemes. So you can see where that makes sense mm -hmm. for the Chiefs, where they're going. On early downs, you can see how Ronald Jones makes sense. I'm just with Craig, though. What do you, you can't do much with him on third downs. Like, what, what? I mean, is there anything besides putting him on the bench on third downs you can see for his usage? I mean, I, I, things have to develop pretty quickly. Um, I, I think you're relying on a coaching staff, Greg Lewis, a guy who has coached receivers before to try and help develop the route tree to try and help develop some of the some of the pass catching ability but i it the pass blocking is the part that scares me that that really is the part that scares me i it's and if you 
talk to the Tampa Bay beat guys, if you talk to their film guys and stuff like that, they've, they've kind of mirrored that exact sentiment. It's like, you don't want him protecting your quarterback and picking up that stuff. So I just don't, I don't know that that solves it. Now, as you're going through all your first and second down, you know, the physical runner, hard to bring down, you know, takes good contact balance, good vision. Doesn't that sound like a guy that they already have on the roster? I mean, that's, that's where Clyde wins right now. So, I, I mean, you can look at it as, listen, having two guys like that, not a bad deal, you know, especially as Andy Reid is going to use a running back by committee thing. He's going to go with a hot hand a lot more often. It just it seems a little bit more limiting. And I mean, it, correct me if if you think differently, but I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a better pass blocker at this point in his career. Oh, so, I don't even yeah. think it's close. And like there's yeah. stuff that Clyde has to get better at, but I think he processes it pretty well. It's the execution that's pretty bad. Ronald Jones does neither particularly yeah. good as a pass protector. Now, I you were going through what he does well and like how you were comparing him to a Chiefs running back. All that was running through my head is, oh, he's Derek Gore. Oh, he's Derek Gore. I think you described yeah. Derek Gore to a T. This, I do think that Gore and then Ronald Jones, for sure, they have more power than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire does. I would say yeah. Clyde's actually a little bit shiftier. Like He's hard to bring down, but it's because he's kind of slippery. It's hard to get square contact on him. He's not necessarily going to run forward through a tackle, then fall forward. Ronald Jones can do that. But again, I feel like you're paying a guy up to $5 million. We have to see what the base is but you're paying him up to a decent amount to be a slightly better Derek Gore. Like it, to me, it's, a, it's just an interesting move. Now they come out and say the base is whatever the vet minimum is for a running back. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, okay. There's no chance he's hitting those incentives. Who cares? You get a good runner on first mm -hmm. and second down. He kind of fits the scheme a little bit. The one thing that I do want to see though, cause he didn't get to do it at Tampa. What does he look like on outside zone? Like yeah. you're starting to go through the film now. He's decisive. He gets downhill. Yes. He runs strong. So if all of a sudden you stretch horizontally, does he have the burst to put his foot in the ground and then drive up field? He's like, I think he does, but I also I do see does. some, I see a little stiffness in his hips. Now that yeah. doesn't stop. That doesn't stop outside zone runners. No, but no, as long doesn't. as he can do it, I'm interested. That's what I want to see. Let him run outside zone. Let Andy get his rocks off on outside zone and see if Ronald Jones can be the guy that does it. I mean, and this is not trying to dunk on Daryl Williams at all, but I think Ronald Jones fits an outside zone scheme a lot better than Daryl Williams does because oh, yeah. he's he's got explosion, he's got the ability, he's got an extra gear. Like he he is an athletic dude. The the reasons that he got some of those Jamal comparisons is because he would pull away from guys. I mean, he's got that ability. It's not like you know super home run. It, it's not Damian Williams. It's not that sort of speed by any means, but he, for his size and blend, he's got the ability to still, you know, convert and take some long runs here. Andy Reid loved to run outside zone with Darrell Williams. And we talked about it a lot last year. We were like, what, what are we doing here? Run that with Jet McKinnon. Run that with, you know, with some of these more explosive guys to get to the outside, put your foot in the ground and take it for eight yards, 10 yards, something like that. I do think, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. If they're going to still continue to lean on outside zone, which is Andy Reed, of course, they're going to continue to lead on outside zone. They're going to continue to lean on that. Ronald Jones makes some sense. And I think he's probably the guy in the room as it stands right now. You know, Jarek McKinnon is not signed to this team right now in the room right now. I think he makes the most sense for that sort of usage. So yeah, if that's how they're planning to use him, makes him a little more predictable, but he can run some gap stuff, but it does give them that element. So I, I do think, and I, I know that we've been kind of talking 
some negatives here. I do think it's a good move I because I do think it's going to be a low money deal. I do want to touch on this, though. One year up to $5 million, even though, you know, the base is probably going to be very low. The $5 million is probably going to be, you know, big, you know, not likely to be earned incentives and things like that. The fact that they're willing to hand out that contract, does that tell you what they think about the rest of the running back room, Maddie? Does that indicate anything to you? I think so. I think at the very, very least, it tells you they don't have a lot of faith in the rest of the the runners uh, that they have on the on the roster because we've talked about it. Like you know, he's not going to do much on third downs for you, right? But you're still paying him potentially up to five million dollars. I would imagine most of those incentives are going to be based around playing time and rushing mm-hmm. production. They're mm-hmm. saying, hey. We'll give you $5 million to be a good runner. But what is that saying to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? What is that saying to Derek Gore or anybody else that they might be bringing in? It seems like Ronald Jones should get the opportunities to maybe get there or he feels like he's going to. So yeah, they can't have a lot of confidence, at least to anybody they have right now, to be the guy as a running back. And so they went out, they make a move for Ronald Jones. I think he will help them as a runner. It's just, I, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that, that that's a big deal for a one-year deal for a running back. Potentially, um, potentially a big deal. Potentially, right? A big but they're will. Yeah. I'm saying they're willing to invest that much mm-hmm. into the running back position after drafting one at first down, and it is a guy that does have a relatively limited skill set. Not that it can't yeah. be a good limited skill set. It's just right. It's a limited skill set, and they're willing to go up to five million if he performs the way they you know, they hope he does. It's just that took me by surprise. And I mean. We talked a little bit about this. The Chiefs have good blocking receivers on the outside. They've obviously improved that offensive line. They feel very good about where that is. They have four tight ends as well on the roster that, uh, you know, they have more than that on the roster right now. I believe they have nine. I mean, it's something insane like that. But the four guys from last year that made the 53 are on the roster right now. It wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs were going to lean on some of that a little bit more. And if that's the case, investing that kind of money in a running back with putting incentives on it, I I get it. I, I know that we don't want to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, but I get it, and it might give you a little bit more there. So let's move on to somebody else. Wait, are we some good other on Ronald Jones? highly yes. valued positions highly around the NFL. Positions. Uh, Chiefs. Signed Jermaine Carter Jr. to a one-year deal. He is a six-foot-one, two hundred and twenty-five-pound linebacker. A little bit lighter guy. Last year, he played. Uh, he's been playing for Carolina for uh, the past four years. Rookie deal, fifth-round pick. Um, played Mike linebacker for this team and started all seventeen games in twenty twenty-one. Now they didn't really have a Mike linebacker on their roster that they really trusted, but he did play all 17 games there. A lighter guy. What what are your initial reactions to Jermaine Carter and what it means for the depth chart in the linebacker room for the Chiefs? So, okay, I, I live in North Carolina. I live in the state that, in which Jermaine Carter played in. I don't watch every Panthers game, but I see quite a few of them on the TV, hear quite a bit about it. I have a very had a very vague concept of who Jermaine Carter was, despite the fact that he started every game for them this past year. So, like, I, I think I started to start there. Like, that's what that's was his impact from my view on what he did on the football field. You know, I watched a lot of Panthers games live. Probably, you know, at least half of them of the year I watched live. Hear about him all the time. Jermaine Carter wasn't a name that came up a lot. So then you go back and you know you flip through some film pretty quick. 
he's out there. He fills in snaps, but I just, I don't think his impact is ever really that felt on the football field. You look at his size, his body frame, some of the stuff he does, honestly, I, I think Craig kind of had the same general reaction after he watched him a little bit. It's Ben Neiman. You that you mm-hmm. signed a different version of Ben Neiman, a smaller linebacker that has the ability to play Mike. He has the IQ. He has the ability to be a little bit of a leader on the field and play Mike, but probably not a guy you want to put there. You'd rather have him playing as your weak side linebacker if he has to start. You'd rather him be a depth guy, maybe since he can call plays, since he does have some level of functional athleticism. You can play him as your dime linebacker if you mm-hmm. have to. Like he pretty much is the Ben Neiman replacement one to one. I mean, yeah, that this one is you know we every time the Chiefs sign a linebacker, does this mean that you know this guy's not back and all that? Like I I get it and I understand the desire to replace it. This one actually makes some sense. Yeah, for all the reasons that Maddie said, the reason why Ben Neiman made sense to return to this team and why he still could return to this team is because he knows how to play every spot on the defense. He knows Spagnuolo's scheme and he's a smart guy that can help call stuff. Jermaine Carter Jr. is a smart guy that can help call stuff. Lighter, a little bit athletic guy. I mean, he just makes sense as your dime linebacker. Towards the end of last year, Nick Bolton was the guy that was rotating behind Ben Neiman as the dime linebacker. Now, he still could. He still could in 2022. We'll see how that goes. This gives you another option. Gives you a little bit more insulation, maybe a little more coverage ability on that position right there. And then, yeah, in the base defense, you're probably going not going to ask him to line up on the line of scrimmage and stack and shed as a 225-pound linebacker. So you're going to put him more as your, your will linebacker with Willie Gay as the Sam. Then you go to the nickel, and it's still going to be Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. I, I know I saw a lot of people. It's like, oh, no, is Willie not going to? No, it's still going to be Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. Bolton's going to be the mic. Uh, unquestionably, he's going to be the mic. This just gives you another guy who can do it. So here's the other part of this, Matty. Steve Spagnuolo doesn't like to shift his linebackers. So when there's, when there's motion on a play, you got a tight end that comes across the formation. The way that they have done it in the past is they will rotate the linebackers just kind of shift off the line of scrimmage. So Willie Gay, if he was aligned on the line of scrimmage, the tight end goes away from him. He goes to the second level. And the guy that was opposite him, if that was Nick Bolton in the base, would come down and play the edge, you know, try and stack and shed as, you know, the de facto Sam with motion. You don't want that to happen with Jermaine Carter Jr. So does that give you any pause as a guy that might play some significant snaps in the base as it stands right now? A little bit. Um, like it's def- it's definitely an issue. It's definitely something that Chiefs will have to contend with. I will say they have dealt with Ben Neiman playing linebacker. They have dealt with some other guys that actually Ben Neiman's probably the only one that it really doesn't take on contact well. I think Nick Bolton's learning to for as physical as year. he is. Ben Neiman yeah. improved with that no, last he year. Did. Yeah. He did. No, he did. I, I was going to say, like, Nick Bolton might, he, as physical as he is, that's not his strong suit right now is taking on right blocks. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think if we talked about it last year, he kind of looked better as the Mike where he was not having to take on as many direct blocks. He wasn't have to worry about guys climbing up on easy angles to get him as that backside mm-hmm. linebacker. So, yeah, I, I don't love the concept of a 225-pound linebacker playing in Steve Spagnuolo's system where he's not going to be protected a ton by the defensive line, especially playing mm-hmm. outside linebacker. 
here's also the thing. I don't know if he's a starter. I think yeah. the Chiefs set out to, to get better than Ben Neiman. So Jermaine Carter might be the replacement, but I think they set out to get better. And like you start digging around through some of Jermaine Carter's, like his stats, bad tackler. This is a lot of tackle. His missed tackle percentage is kind of up near 20%. And it got worse last year when he played more snaps. Like it, it got worse when he played more snaps. So it wasn't like it was a small sample size thing. So he's a little bit of a missed tackle guy. You look at him in coverage. You know, I don't care if linebackers give up catches because we've seen with the Chiefs, you can't get out to the flat to stop a two-yard pass. But when you give up 330 yards in the passing game and 250 of them are after the catch, that's not good. That tells me you're closing yeah. a little late. It tells me you're not getting out to the ball when you should be. So like, I don't see what he does great. I think he's a solid player. I think he's a rotational guy. I would hope the Chiefs aren't having to start him. But I like the signing as a backup Mike and as a guy mm-hmm. that can potentially eat snaps as an outside linebacker. Like He's got the experience to do that. Right. And I mean, we know we've heard rumors about, you know, got Damian Wilson, the Chiefs maybe being interested in him, Miles Jack, maybe the Chiefs being interested in him. Those are bigger guys. And those are guys that could have played the Sam. This is not necessarily that kind of move. Maybe just a special teams move, maybe just a depth signing there. Either way, I don't think it's a bad move by any means. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's move on to the best Twitter follow of any of the Chiefs' (laughs) new signings here. Dion Bush, strong safety, coming out of Chicago, played for the Bears last year. Um, Never really a starter, mostly a special teams guy. Got a decent amount of snaps last year. I mean, as as compared to some of the other ones, his second year, playing over 40% of the defensive snaps. Most of the time, it was 15% and under. But he's been with the Bears for the past uh, six years now. So comes out, they signed him in free agency. Um, what, what's your initial reaction to Deion Bush, Matty? So, yeah, the, fir- the first thing is I, I kind of went and looked at how often he was playing. So as a rookie, he kind of saw a little bit of playing time. And I don't remember back what was going on with the Bears. What was that, 2016, 2016 probably? 16, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what was going on with the safety room then. Um, so maybe it was injuries. Maybe he earned like a third safety role. But then he didn't really play on defense much until this past season, which, and again, they're going through a lot of transition. So, okay, he's a little bit of a part-time player. I don't even know if he's being predominantly a third safety and especially, you know, Vic Fangio system as they kind of kept similar stuff going on after that. 
Then you start to watch him. He's mostly playing deep. He's not playing in the box a lot, but I will say this. He's willing to step down into the box and come hit somebody. He will step down. He will come hit somebody. Not the biggest guy, but he's willing to come downhill. He can play some, you know, some coverage. He, he's uh adequate coverage player that can play split field stuff. I think he has enough range to play single high. If you were going to shade him over, you know, a number one receiver, like he can cover the middle of the field. He's not getting to the boundary, but he can cover the middle of the field. So like, you know, he's a good at a little bit of everything. I don't know if he's particularly great at any area at playing safety. He's a good special teamer though. Mm -hmm. Really good special teamer. I, I see this more as a Dave Tobe move. Like, I think that this is a, a prime Dave Tobe move. I know that people have looked at this before the signing happened yesterday for Dan Sorensen going to the New Orleans Saints and a bunch of Chiefs fans exhaled, you know, hey, for that damn ring proud, Dan. But um, they were looking at this. Is this the Dan replacement? I think it's more of like an Armani Ar Ar Watts style replacement. A guy yeah. that's going to play the most special team snaps does not preclude them from you know, going out and getting another safety, especially since Juan Thornhill is going to be out of contract next year. But a guy that I think is going to contribute in that in that fourth phase a lot. Like, I think he's going to play in every single aspect of that fourth phase. And then you feel okay with having him on your active roster, stepping in in scenarios. I, th I think, and you know, I, I know that Armani Watts didn't get a whole lot of run in Kansas City and you know when he did get run he was just kind of flying around and hitting people and that that's what it was I mean I think it's a similar sort of deal especially from the special teams aspect of all of this yeah and that, that's where I think his his comparison is to you know we talked about how Jermaine Carter's kind of one-to-one -to, -one to Ben Neiman Deion Bush is really similar to Armani Watts down to the fact that he's willing to come up and hit somebody hard he also has a handful of missed tackles because he's coming up trying to hit everybody hard. Yeah. There's some athleticism that he showcases on the back end. Good special teamer. Like it seems like he's a pretty clear, you know, he fits into that role better than he fits into the Dan Sorensen role. I'm not saying he yeah. can't be Dan Sorensen. I'm not saying you can't put him out there and have him be one of these guys communicating across the back end of the defense. That's doing a little bit of all this different stuff that you're aligning as a pseudo dime linebacker, even though Dan wasn't good at that never was, but like, even though they tried it, that's not Deion Bush. I think more realistically, Devin Key or Zane Anderson are going to be your Dan Sorensen replacements. Unless they go draft somebody or bring another guy in, they have these two UDFAs that were impressive enough during camp last year. I think those are the guys, they're a little bit bigger. Those are the guys you're looking at to replace Dan. I think Deion Bush is this special team star that has some ability to cover on the back end if you need him to step into a role like that. Yep. I full agree there. So... <sighs> Okay, those are the guys that the Chiefs have signed. Uh, they have Arden Key in house, kind of working Please. out. Maddie, Maddie, do you? Yeah, get get your Arden Key takes off real quick before he inevitably signs in Kansas City. Here, I gave some of mine on twenty one questions yesterday, okay. so hit yours real quick. Um, Arden Key, a lot of talent, high four star recruit, borderline on a five star. So I'm already enamored by guys like that coming out of high school. Then all of a sudden, um, he couldn't keep his weight under control at LSU. And that program, as we've come to find out, was kind of a mess under Coach O. Fun guy to follow, maybe a pretty bad like culture leader at a college yeah. like LSU. So he's bloated, he's skinny, he's bloated, he's skinny. Nobody knows what's going on. He struggles with the Raiders for a couple years, but then between 2019 and 2020. It seemed like a coach finally got to him. He started how to take care of his body. He started putting on good weight. And while he didn't wasn't super productive for the Raiders, the pressure numbers started to come up. QB hits started to come up. And like you mm -hmm. could see he was developing. 
He gets out of the Vegas at that point in time, goes to San Francisco and has six and a half sacks. Now you watch some of them. They're not always the most impressive. It's a lot of loops, a lot of stunts, cleanup stuff from being on a good defensive line, but you can't watch him and not see a guy that still has talent at 24 years old. That's probably playing around 260 to 265. If my eye is not deceiving me too much with good length, like now all of a sudden you're talking about a guy that fits Steve Spagnuolo's profile can play outside can rush on the inside a little bit, like his absolute worst. The floor, you have a situational pass rusher on the interior, similar to a Turk Wharton style of guy. Mm-hmm. At best, you get this guy that can rotate in at defensive end and provide some athleticism and some potentials. So like it's a home run signing. I just don't know what his asking price will be, given he's I've got like eight visits, eight yeah. visits under his belt now. I mean, and I imagine Joe Cullen is sitting in that room with him right now and hard selling. And I mean, We've seen Joe Cullen has developed some guys, has really kind of gotten some guys to take some strides. Obviously, that 49ers defensive line room and their coach are studs. Like, they they just churn dudes out. So you're hoping that he has taken something from San Francisco. You're hoping that Joe Cullen can help translate him to what Spagnuolo wants to do on the edge a little bit on first and second downs. And then, yeah, turn him loose next to Chris Jones on the interior. I Like, I, I think it makes sense. Does not solve defensive end. Does not solve it at all, but gives you a guy in the Okafor role to kind of put that in perspective that's probably going to have a little more juice, not probably, has more juice than Alex Okafor on the interior. So I, I, it's a signing that I would like as well. Let's get to it. The, the, rumor, the rumor mill is swirling as we are recording this right now. Tweet from Aaron Wilson. Chiefs are in the market for a corner. They've displayed interest or displayed interest in veteran free agent Stefan Gilmore, who has been part of interest of Raiders and potential trade for Giants James Bradbury, according to a league source. Chiefs and several NFL teams are interested in James Bradbury. We'll get into compensation. We'll get into that stuff in just a second. Adding a veteran corner, maybe on the downside of his career on a short-term deal with the Chiefs' current CB room, Matty. That move in a vacuum. Can you disagree with it, with the current CB room? No, I think you have to. You have to add a veteran guy that knows how to play the position, that can help mentor some of these younger guys. I mean, Snead and Fenton have been around, and Baker have been around for a little bit, but not that long. And outside that, I mean, your most tenured guy is going to be Justin Reed in his fifth year in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not a guy that's got a ton of experience and he hasn't played corner. So yeah, bring in a veteran. I think with the way the chiefs are approaching this offseason, though, make it a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal for these guys. You don't, and, or if it's, you know, a two-year deal with an, a, like no dead money or minimal dead money after one, then fine. But Make it a one-year deal. Don't lock yourself up in any way, shape, or form beyond one year to an older corner that might be on the you know the precipice of falling off. Like corners fall off quickly, especially big, physical, long corners. They fall off even faster. Don't mm-hmm. let Charvarius Ward go for whatever he got paid to bring in an older version of Charvarius Ward at the same price for more than a yeah. year. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like you really got to pay attention. Now we'll get into the compensation. You really got to pay attention to what it's going to cost. Because as it stands right now, if the Chiefs trade for James Bradbury, James Bradbury is 29 years old. They trade a later round pick for him. We'll get into that in a second too. Pit those against each other. It would be 13.4 million dollars on a essentially a one year deal for that. 
That is a lot of money for James Bradbury, a guy that I, I like. Um, I really do. I, I have been a big fan of James Bradbury for a number of years back when he was, you know, playing out there and locking up Julio Jones on the outside. I, I, I really liked what he brought to the table as a physical guy, ball skills, length, intelligence, ability. I love the way that he plays in zone as well. I'm not, not so much a man, but love the way that he plays in zone as well. But I clearly took a step back last year for the Giants, like a massive step back for the Giants. So if you are betting on that, you are hoping that you're getting the guy that played in Carolina, not the guy that played in New York. So $13.4 million, if you're betting on that, is a lot of money. So that And he's 29, so Brett Veach, we've seen what he does. He doesn't like to extend guys. Over to, you know over twenty eight, so it would probably just be on that deal. And that's the weirdest part about the whole the rumors to me is the Chiefs making this trade. Okay, like removing just trading for him for one year thirteen point five, but like the concept of extending him so that that cap hit isn't so bad, right? The concept of trading for Bradbury, extending him for a like three year deal so the cap hit isn't so bad. One, the Chiefs don't do that. They don't pay people at that age. I mean, we're sitting here in a year where they're, you know, letting Tyron Matthew walk. They're letting these guys walk as they hit that age. They're not playing in the free agent market on guys that are at that age. And we're talking about trading for a corner who's already shown the potential signs of a decline that's getting to that age at a position that does fall off pretty quickly. It's a bold strategy for me to think all of a sudden the Chiefs are going to flip their entire free agency yeah. philosophy on its head for a corner, but in which... And on one year deal is making four times more than the Chiefs have paid any single corner under Brett Veach's tenure because he's due for 13.5 million. It's like the move in itself doesn't make sense to me, but there's so much smoke that I've been trying to figure out where it makes sense. So what I have come up with is this the asking price for Bradbury is so darn low that the Chiefs just cannot possibly, they just simply can't possibly not take, you know, try to get this deal done. Seventh round pick, two seventh yeah. round picks. And then you ask the Giants to eat some of the cash. Like, if that's what we're looking at, okay, fine, all aboard. You want to tell me, though, the Chiefs come out and trade a fourth-round pick for a 29-year-old corner getting $13.5 million for one year? Or that you have to extend a 29-year-old corner that's already shown a sign of falling off? I, I would be a little upset the way the rest of this offseason is gone. That makes no sense. That's a win-now move, not a we're-building-a-new-team move. Right. That's not – and I don't know that he's part of the next – core of guys which is what you're trying to build right now by accumulating all these picks you're trying to get the next core of guys i'm with maddie you're trading a seventh round pick fine like it, that's fine yeah i know everybody's pointing to brett veach and what he's done and day three of the draft and all that it's a seventh round pick a lot of those guys just don't make rosters so if you're trading that for james bradbury the 13.4 million dollars is a lot it's a lot to take on but i can see how it is it's a slam dunk if the Giants take on $5 million of that, $7 million of that, something like that. Because currently, James Bradbury has a $21.8 million cap hit for the Giants. Now, if he was traded to Kansas City, it would be 13.4. I would save that amount of money. I'd save, you know, roughly about, you know, $13.5 million. If you can get them to walk that back a little bit, then maybe all of a sudden, it makes sense for them to try and do something like that. So I am interested in that. I would be interested even more if the uh, if the Giants wanted to take on some more of that. 
but it's just it's there's so much smoke around it right now that I think it's also very interesting because Maddie had posited this theory in the DMs a little while back. Aaron, Aaron Wilson tweeting about how that they're interested in Gilmore and in Bradbury. Maddie, you think those two things are related? Yeah, I, I, I'm just to be very clear. One, I think the Chiefs have a very clear option one and option two out of those things. I'm not saying they don't like both, but I think they have a clear one and a clear two. I don't know what they're going to be, right? But all of a sudden, the Chiefs are now pub. All of a sudden, they're publicly linked to Stefan Gilmore. It was mostly back channels before the last couple mm-hmm. of days. Now it's yeah, public. we'd heard now, rumors. Yeah, now everyone knows though. They have been the the rumors about Bradbury have been from unsourced people. Again, backdoor stuff. All they're rumored to Bradbury. All of a sudden, now that's out in front for everybody to see. I can't help but think the Chiefs are playing those two sides against each other to try to get whatever option one is. I am hoping it's Stefan Gilmore because I think that you don't have to trade anything for him. And he's going to be less than $13.5 million. I mean, yeah. you have to get him to agree for it. I, I know that the rumors are. Are we sure? Are we sure he's less than $13.5 million? Yes, he is going okay. to sign for less than $13.4 okay. million. Now, does he want that? Probably, but he's going <laughs> to sign for less. He's going to. And I would rather be the team that pays him less rather than trying to make this trade for James Bradbury. I also don't think in this particular defensive scheme, yeah, Gilmore's not what he once was. He's not the all-pro shutdown corner, but in this scheme, you limit a lot of what he is starting to struggle with as he gets older. So maybe he can not recapture that same level of play, but be still be pretty good. You get him for $8 million, and maybe there's a chance to earn up to 10 or something out of it like that. Like That's a lot more palatable of a deal to me than trading for Bradbury for 13.4 or trading a fourth round pick for Bradbury and having to pay him the same amount because you lucked into the giants eating a little bit of the salary, but you're still paying him the same amount and giving up a fourth round pick. So like, I'm hoping it's all a leverage play for Gilmore at this point in time. I would prefer to keep both of the fourths. If we're being real, um, I, if you're using that to trade up in the draft for a guy that you like to help build the core, that's great. I, I like what Brett Veach has done in the fourth round of the NFL draft the past couple of years. I really have liked what he's done in the fourth round. So he's gambled on athletic dudes with high upside at that spot. That's what this team needs. They need him to translate. Legereus Sneed was a great gamble. I think Joshua Kando, a great gamble. We'll see how Kando comes out of this. But I would rather keep those sorts of things rather than give it up for an aging cornerback that's not probably part of your next core of guys i'm with maddie if you can get stefan gilmore in there that'd be great and maybe you're trying to pit that against it and say hey we're willing to go over here so we we don't we don't need you thanks and starting to walk away and maybe maybe you get him and his agent to uh to revamp things a little bit to be more realistic like like i mean let's be real gilmore you were not you know the hottest name on the market when you hit the you know ability to be open last year not every team wanted you you know come back to reality a little bit realize your age and come make money for a year and if you're good again somebody will continue to pay you similar you know amounts of money until you show that you can't do it anymore i mean that's how a lot of veteran cornerbacks live out their final four three four years in the nfl absolutely and on top of that you're getting to play in a too high structure because Steve Spagnuolo plays in a too high structure. So you're going to be protected. You're not going to be playing in Bill Belichick's scheme where it's going to be, hey, uh, you were leaving you one-on-one with the number two receiver. Good luck. You know, we're going to shade help over the top of the other guy. He's going to get help so he can just sit there and play aggressive underneath. Makes all the sense in the world. 
on a one-year deal. So we'll see what happens with that. Lots of smoke, lots of rumors. It sounds like the Chiefs are probably going to add a veteran corner very soon here, ideally. Okay, let's ask this question real quick before we finish up. Stephon Gilmore is out there right now. James Bradbury, let's say the, the New York Giants decide, listen, we're just not going to get anybody to take on this contract. We know what it is. We're just going to go ahead and cut him and save $10 million against the cap. Which one of them would you pre- prefer, assuming that James Bradbury is probably going to be a little bit cheaper than Stefan Gilmore based on their play last year? Yeah, if he's cut and they're both out there, I would take just whichever one's going to be cheaper um, on a one-year deal. Now, the thing for Bradbury, though, is he is 29. He might he might dig his heels in a little bit more to get more than a one-year deal. Maybe. He's at the age where other teams, not the Chiefs usually, but other teams are willing to pay out a two- or three-year deal. So he might dig his heels in a little bit harder for the length, and then, then you go back to Gilmore. But, I mean, essentially, whoever I can get cheaper on a one-year deal is where I'd go. And that's why I lean towards Gilmore over the trade. Yeah. Yep, I'm with it. All right, that is going to do it for this live edition reacting to Ronald Jones and a lot of other Chiefs moves and news that have occurred over the last three or four days. Stay tuned. We will be back with The Lab live on Monday, hopefully breaking down a new signing. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go down there. It's right there. It's a little button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so that way you can stay on top of everything that we're doing and make sure that you get the news right when we are sending it and hit the bell, hit the notification. I want you to know. So thanks for joining us. We will catch you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.